Welcome to Joint Effort with Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. This podcast covers the pain and injuries that are associated with muscles, ligaments, and joints. Welcome to Joint Effort. I'm Jason Sullivan. We have Leah Ganell today. She is an orthopedic surgeon who is fellowship trained in foot and ankle, mm-hmm. and uh, we appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you. Yeah. Leah joined us not even a year ago. Nope. About seven How- months now. However, you were in practice in Texas for a while. Yes. Two years? Three years. Three years. Yep. And you're at Texas Tech. Is that where you at? Covenant. Covenant. Across okay. the street. Texas but, Tech is in Lubbock. Okay. But it was Lubbock, Texas. Was it academics, though? Did You mm-hmm. had residents or no? no? Private practice. It was a hospital-employed group. Hospital-employed group. How many people were working with the hospital down there? How many uh, there were four of us in the group that took trauma call, um, okay. and then a couple that were in a semi-related group that yeah. did some of the joints. Okay. So a lot bigger group in town now. Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> How's your experience been so far? It's been good. It's been an interesting uh, time to try building a new practice, coming into a new area. <laughs> she um, came during co- like the middle of COVID. Yeah, made the decision to make the move before the COVID, mm-hmm. you know, pandemic started, and then that hit. Things kind of changed, but honestly, we're still pretty busy and keeping things yeah. rolling. I I'll, do take a decent amount of call. You but. do. You do. You came in. I remember, uh, and we couldn't give you enough call. Everyone's like, Leo, Leah wants call. And I'm like, Leah has a lot of call. Does she know how much call she has? And I'm like, oh, she wants call. So I called you one time. I'm like, hey, you know, I plans changed for me. I got to leave this weekend. You know, I'll switch with you. And she's like, I'll take it. I'm like, okay, you want me to switch? I'll take it. And then I do remember that was a pretty bad call for you. So I feel like your first few calls were, uh, you know, it's almost like a baptism by fire kind it has of thing. To be, I think. It happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you settle in, you realize there's some calls that are okay, mm-hmm. um, but when they get going sideways. Yep, it's either nice and steady, you can keep things kind of even keel, or the trauma doesn't stop. Right. There's almost no in between. <laughs> Don't you think you're a little bit at a greater advantage on call than the average orthopedist having been foot and ankle trained? With how common that, you know, a tibia or an ankle fracture is that you see? I think it's definitely beneficial uh, for a lot of the lower extremity trauma. Um, the upper extremity is right. obviously less comfort for me, but that's what we have you for. Absolutely. Um, but with the lower extremity, especially with my training out in Harborview, the amount of trauma that went through there and our work with the trauma fellows there, mm-hmm. we saw a lot of really bad lower extremity traumas. Is, so. Harborview is one of the busiest trauma centers in the country, correct? Yeah, my, I think my first two weeks of fellowship, we had 14 calc fractures. Which I don't think we did 14 calc fractures in a year or two during residency. Wow. Um, and so that was, was that, who fixes those? Dr. Bernerska? Is that his name? Bernerska does do most okay. of them. He doesn't do all of them. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Sanjorzin uh, and Dr. Bragi will fix some, but Bernerska does. I mean, if he, I, if he hears, if he sniffs out a calc fracture yeah. in the, the hospital, it's coming. It's, it's his thing. I just remember seeing him give a lecture and I saw about 100 K wires and something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, unbelievable amount of patience to piece that thing back together. You have no idea. <laughs> so, yeah. So you've learned from one of the masters or a bunch of the masters in foot and ankle surgery and calcaneous surgery. And it can get pretty pretty complicated at times when you're it's a bag of bones almost. He can take a bag of bones and he will find the smallest fragment of bone and he sees exactly where it goes. It's one of the more impressive things yeah. that I've ever seen. Is that something that you can gather or is it just... 
you spend the first probably two weeks of any rotation with him looking at it going, how did you see that? Yep. By the end, you can actually see where he's going with some of it, and you know wh what his plan is. Okay. Recreating the way he does it, Just there are very few people that can even come close to difficult. that. Difficult. For sure. So, so interestingly, I just found this out from you, but orthopedics is your second career. Yes. So how, how in the heck do you tell me you're a material engineer mm -hmm. and you work for Northrop Grumman? Yeah. So it's a defense contractor that is based out of the D.C. area. Yeah. So I, that's actually where I was during uh, September 11th back You were? Yeah. So I was working for a defense contractor in that area um, at that point in time. But I was materials engineer. I did semiconductor work and... Okay, that that takes that's a long road to get there. I mean, to graduate with an engineering degree anywhere is difficult. How do you pull the plug on that and decide to do something different? I loved engineering in school because it was very technical. It, there was a lot of hands-on. There was a lot of lab work. There was a lot of thought process in it. Um, in practice, in jobs, there was a lot of supervising and a lot of meetings. Okay. Turned out I wasn't very good at that. I okay. <laughs> I like hands-on work, and so if I didn't, if I wasn't actively doing something, yeah, I didn't feel engaged enough. Okay, I started taking just classes at a community college, even within the first six months, because I wanted more activity. So then, um, grad school for five years after that. I did grad school for a, for a few years, doing a pathology degree, um, yeah. where I did basic musculoskeletal research um, with embryonic development. Um, and then applied to medical school while I was in grad school. That helped pave the way to get into medical school. Medical schools love the unconventional applicant. Mm -hmm. So you were probably, I'm guessing, when you were a shoe, they were like, oh my God, we don't even need to interview her. She's fit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm probably not the standard. Although University of Rochester, a lot of their medical students aren't standard. Sure. Uh, but they, I mean, it's a fantastic medical school. Yep. Awesome. So then, now you're here with us, and when, when you interviewed here, Someone told me something like you have 50 horses. How many horses do you have? Too many. Um. <laughs> <laughs> because we heard she's coming from Texas. Uh, there's land in Iowa for, for her horses. Mm -hmm. And we're like, well, how many horses? You know, a couple of horses. And we're like, no, no, there's, there's a lot of horses. Mm -hmm. So they're not even all here yet, correct? Oh, no, no. Uh, so we, we actually have a 501c3 horse rescue. Um, Unbelievable. So yeah. we have 37 horses currently. Two are leaving this weekend for adoption. Okay. Um, and then we have four donkeys. So do are you known nationwide if, if hey, if, I mean, how, how, do you seek out horses to bring on as a refu refugee for the camp for them? Or what, what? how does this happen? How do you save horses? <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> we're not seeking out anymore at this point in time. Okay. <laughs> we're trying to decrease numbers at this point. Okay. Um, we do actually know people that are involved with horse rescue around the country, actually. Right. Um, it's, there's a fairly large network. Um, but I got involved with it down in Texas. I'm going to blame one of the general surgeons down there that I worked with. I've always loved horses growing up. I used to show them, did some 4-H, did some saddle seat, uh, had multiple horses. Um, and then got to Texas. always thought I'd have horses again, but, you know, a couple horses of my own. One of the general surgeons has a uh, sanctuary and she brought in a lot of horses from some of the kill pens in Texas, which was a new thing to me that I'd never heard of. Mm -hmm. um, and horses for slaughter, again, completely naive at that point to any of that. And I'm a bleeding heart for animals. Don't ask how many animals total we have. Um, so we got one, and then we got two, and then... Yeah. 
So there, yeah, some are coming years. to Iowa or some are already here? Uh, up here right now, we don't have any horses. Uh, we've just been trying to get our pasture up here ready because our land had, uh, and we have much less land up here than we had in Texas, but gotcha. um, we had a lot of uh, corn that was growing on it, so we had to turn that into pasture. So that's what we've been working on recently. So I spend my weekends doing fencing if I'm not on call. Wow. Um, so you almost rather be on call, I'm guessing. Some, sometimes that's easier. Yeah. <laughs> or at least makes me less sore. And it, do you ride some of these horses then for leisure? Mm-hmm. Okay. You could probably put together a nice side business. There are a lot of Des Moines families and kids growing up that want to ride horses. You could probably, that wouldn't be a bad little idea there. We're working on reaching out to some other rescues in the area. Yeah. Um, reached out just this weekend at the Iowa Horse uh, Fair about possible you know, other contacts for trainers and things like that. Very cool. So. All right, let's get on to what you really specialize in now. No more mm-hmm. engineering talk. Uh, you know a lot about horses, but what we really want to talk about today is ankle sprains. Um, very common. Mm-hmm. Um, just describe for me what's the most common type of ankle sprain and what does a sprain designate? What happens? So uh, the most common ankle sprain is usually more of an inversion type injury. So somebody rolls their ankle, they're playing basketball, they land on somebody's foot, it rolls over. Um, usually mostly pain on the outside of their ankle. Um, there, You can you know, invert or do some other types of ankle sprains or high ankle sprains where you have a little bit of a uh, plantar flexion, so toes pointed down and kind of roll over and invert and have some damage done <coughs> a little higher up as well. Um, but when we say an ankle sprain, yeah, what we really mean is that you have stretched, partially torn, or completely torn some of the ligaments around your ankle. Um, and so sometimes we get referrals and it's a question, you know, that like, I tore lig- ligaments around my ankle but you're telling me I have an ankle sprain. Um, and That's yes, exactly what it is. And that's exactly what it is. Um, that's just, you know, the classification of how we do it and mm-hmm. how complete the injury is or how unstable it makes your ankle, ankle if it is unstable, uh, kind of determines course of treatment. When you see a first-time ankle sprain, lateral ankle sprain, mm-hmm. uh, how do you treat them? Uh, so typically, it, again, it depends on how unstable it is to start with, how complete the tear is, okay? If they have good endpoints with... Uh, testing of inverting and what we call anterior drawer, which is just how much shift you can have. If it's relatively stable endpoints and it's just a tenderness, we actually get them range of motion very early. Aggressive physical therapy actually helps. Um, the people that we see that actually do the worst usually are the people that lock up, don't move it, sit in a boot, or you know don't put weight on it, don't walk. So Those, putting weight on right away, no problem. For for a standard ankle sprain with good endpoints yes is there any i always heard this old adage you know an ankle bad ankle sprain hurts worse than breaking your ankle is there any truth to that it can or it can hurt longer okay this is a lot of what it is and i find that's more the case when you don't move it early um, because the stiffness of a joint it's just like any other joint like shoulders elbows have some of that issue where if you don't move it the pain level goes up same thing with the ankle it's a joint that's usually moving all the time you're Mm -hmm. walking on it it's flexing, you you know, tip balance on any uneven ground, things like that. If you lock it in and it's not moving, that scar tissue that you're developing when it's healing, it causes increased pain. Right. And that lasts a lot longer. <laughs> so when you, when would you advise someone, let's say they're a recreational basketball player, when can they get back to playing? Uh, again, some of that is dependent upon yeah. the degree of the injury. Uh, if somebody's pretty 
pretty stable with it. I have them start the rehab, and as soon as they have good proprioception and balance back, they can start back pretty okay. aggressively. Okay. If somebody has a complete hair or some instability, then we usually hold them off for six weeks and then really, I mean, not hold off from everything, but from competitive Dynamic cutting and pivoting. Yeah. What's the difference? You mentioned high ankle sprain. You know, you see a lot of that in the media. Mm-hmm. And uh, a year or two ago in the national title game, they had a, a quarterback, right, had a high ankle sprain. Mm-hmm. They put a device across it. Mm-hmm. Is that becoming more common, or is that a unique situation where it's a little increased, it's an internal brace that gets you through a tough time, and that usually it's just rest that gets someone through it and they didn't have time to rest it? It depends on how complete the injury is again. If you have just a high ankle sprain without disruption of what we call the syndesmosis or the area between the fibula and the tibia, the two bones, um, and if it doesn't open or widen, you don't need to put that device in and there. And how are you telling that on, x-ray, on um, x-rays? You can do it with, uh, I generally will do a standing <coughs> weight bearing of one side compared to the other, and there's measurements that you can do about the amount of overlap there is between the two bones, um, and that'll kind of give you an idea as far as disruption of that. If they don't overlap, are you pretty quick to recommend uh, securing those ligaments? If they have continued pain in the area, if they're a relatively acti- active or if they're an athlete like that, usually getting that space closed down will stop from getting a little bit of translation at that ankle. What's your preference there? Do you like a, do you like a screw or do you like a, a tightrope type fixation or what, what's your preference in fixing that area? Uh, so I've recently changed largely at least in the younger population to a device called the Fibulink okay. um, which is kind of a it's a combination between using a screw and the tightrope. Okay. So the tightrope was is essentially a very long suture that goes from the fibula to the inside of the tibia, so all the way across your you know both bones to recreate the ligament. Um, those devices, if they fail or give, they kind of slide at the knot of that portion, and they they have the ability to lengthen by about five percent um, of their length. Sure. And since it's a pretty long length of suture, if it lengthens by five percent, it basically widens back up. Right. Um, a screw is a rigid fixation, doesn't allow you to Sometimes you have move. to remove them, sometimes it causes Sometimes pain. they break, you know, you can have issues. So when somebody that's young and active, you usually end up taking them out. The Fibulink is a device that actually um, has a screw that goes into the tibia and then another essentially kind of post on the sure. fibula. And so it's got an area of suture to recreate that ligament. It's only about, you know, a centimeter or Just, less. It stays lodged in bone, doesn't cause any problems. And so even if it lengthens by that 5% that you can expect for suture lengthening, yeah, it doesn't widen enough to cause oh, great. Uh, disruption of that syndesmosis. Yeah. You, it's, uh, you know, how many, I don't know how many years out you're in practice, but it's good that you're you know, constantly thinking about things and that you're not just doing the same thing from year one to year 30. You're actually making decisions as newer technology comes out to evolve and which is actually a little funny because myself and Dr. Butler, who another foot and ankle in our group, right. we trained at the same place for residency, uh, and where I trained for fellowship, we're still very old school, very basic, very what's the strongest mechanical concept, and you know, it's platform. an engineer coming out in you. It is, um, but I mean, he's extremely analytical too, uh, right. and so. We fix a lot of things, you know, just basic screws, simple old school stuff that works tried and true, and we don't use a lot of fancy G- gadgets. Um, but that's one that actually I think we both adopted. You think there's some merit to it and you like it. Yeah, so. there, there's a mechanical reason for it. Sure. Um, being advantageous. Yeah, awesome. So back to lower ankle sprains, which seemingly a high ankle sprain is probably going to take a little bit longer than most lateral ankle sprains. Is that fair to say? They, us- they usually do. When does someone, you know, um, 
If you have one ankle sprain, is your next ankle sprain more likely than never having had one before? Depends on how well you rehabbed it um, and how well you get your dynamic stability back in the ankle. Uh, your, your tendons on the inside and the outside of your ankle, so your perineal tendons, which are on the outside, uh, and then like your posterior tib tendon on the inside, they're kind of dynamic stabilizers of your ankle. If you actually rehab those well and have good strength in those, you don't need all the ligaments around your ankle. Okay. Um, you can have pretty good dynamic uh, stability and that can stop you from rolling or continuously re-injuring. Um, if you're not able to rehab those well, um, then you can be more, definitely more likely to re-injure or re-sprain the ankle. Um, certain foot shapes also have a higher chance of spraining your ankle recurrently. Right, and when do you get, uh, when do you get into talking to someone about surgery in regards to an ankle sprain? You know, how does that conversation go? What are they telling you where you think, hey, maybe I can help them out here? Uh, very rarely do I acutely operate on an ankle sprain. Um, if I do, it's generally more one that involves a high ankle sprain, uh, and you'd have to have disruption of the ankle mortis or the alignment of the overall joint. Um, otherwise, I rehab a non-op essentially all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if they've failed that, have continued pain and then gross instability even after they've rehabbed to get their strength and function back in their perineals, then we start talking about. So they, they'll come back in and say, I keep spraining, I keep rolling this over. I can't keep this solid. Mm-hmm. Does a lace of ankle brace help at all? It can help some with uh, some of them, but the problem is if you use that all the time, you're not keeping those dynamics yeah, stabilizers not strong. Get strong. Okay. And so you're, it, it can be counterproductive. I use them in, in an early point when you're first returning to activity um, after, as you're rehabbing in the acute situation, but chronically, you don't want to have to use that long term. You don't want to weaken that. Okay. And a chronic ankle sprain, they just cannot stop from rolling their ankle. How do you mm-hmm. treat that? So then it's a matter of, obviously, if it's a ligaments on the inside or the outside of the ankle, more commonly the outside, um, there are ways that you can uh, either primarily repair that, um, a procedure called the brostrum, um, where you essentially tighten up those ligaments, tighten up the lateral or outside of the ankle, um, and that can give some of the stability back. Um, and that works very well if your overall foot alignment is fairly normal. Okay. Um, if you have a really high arched foot, sometimes you have to address other things with it. Um, additionally, you have to worry about how tight somebody's calf is because um, that can correlate a lot with how, how tight they are and position that their foot is when they're so You might lengthen them at their calf mm-hmm. then in that mm-hmm. case? Yeah. Okay. So you may involve both the calf muscle as well as um, repair of that ligament on the outside of the ankle. Sometimes you have to do a little bit of work with those perineal tendons if they were damaged or torn with okay. the repeated injury as well. What is the risk of having recurrent ankle instability? Can it lead to arthritis? If you have instability at the ankle mortise itself, yeah. Okay. Up to even two millimeters of uh, shift within your ankle on a repeat, repetitive basis uh, can cause is, uh, changes in contact pressures. And would that be one of the more common causes of ankle arthritis? I don't or? know about more common. Um, it, it can lead to some chronic changes. Usually you see more of the chronic changes with uh, chronic ankle rolling or instability. Yeah. Uh, in the what we call the gutters, so on the inside and the outside of the ankle, okay. um, not as much usually within the ankle joint. You you can get some we call it, you know little bone spikes, etc., at the front of the joint sometimes, and that's from that sliding motion. Okay, I want to move on a little bit into ankle mm-hmm. arthritis, mm-hmm. Um, a total ankle replacement. Mm-hmm. Pretty complicated procedure. No, I mean not for you. It's. I mean it's, the balance. It seems like the balance. It, has it, it, it seems like 15 years ago that maybe the challenges of the device design or something led to a lot of failures. 
have things improved in that regard? They're improving. We are not where we are with total knees and total hips as far as implants go. Um, it's still just a hard joint to reproduce because it's a much smaller joint than the knee. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still taking all the same forces, but in multiple <laughs> planes as well. Right. Um, so it does still have a, a shorter lifespan than like a total knee or a total hip where routinely at this point you're thinking 20 to 30 years. Who's the right candidate for having their ankle replaced if they have bad arthritis? Um, the indications are growing a little bit, um, but still somebody that has relatively mild deformity, straightforward arthritis, generally speaking, good nerve sensation. You don't want somebody that can't feel their foot or their ankle because they're at higher risk for... So would a diabetic be a contraindication or someone who's maybe already have sensory loss from Mm -hmm. having diabetes? It's a bad idea. It's generally a bad idea. You get wound problems and things like that. They have potential for wound problems. They have a higher risk for what we call a Charcot joint. And so you can have additional bone loss and they can have further collapse or deformity that can happen. And in that case, you don't want to have a big implant in there that if you had to take that out for some reason because of a problem, whether it was infection or you started to get collapse of bone around the implant, you have a large bone void. Okay. And then you're trying to fuse that later um, right. in somebody that already has a higher risk. And when you say total ankle, what, what are you replacing? What, what, what space between what bones? So the talus is kind of the, the dome. Uh, that's the top bone in your foot, essentially. Allows um, us to move our foot up and down. Yep. Okay. So that's what has the curved surface that rolls up and down, uh, and the distal, the end of the tibia, okay. which is your shin bone, essentially. And you're putting essentially metal and some form of, of plastic. plastic in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. After you have a total ankle, mm-hmm. what can you not do? Can you run? We don't recommend it. Do some people <laughs> run? Some people do. Okay. Um, but you also frequently still tell people with total knees not to do that. Sure. And some do. I will tell you though the lifespan on a total ankle, you know, it before it was in the six to eight year range. We're now maybe eight to twelve. Um, it's not nearly as long a lifespan. You start running on it, it'll loosen it, up it'll, on you. It'll wear out that plastic. It's just like the tread on your tires. Why can't you just repeat it again? You, you if your plastic was just wearing thin, you can do a smaller change of that. But more than anything, the amount of force that it takes on that bone. You usually end up getting some bone wear around it too. Okay. And each time you try to go in, you lose a little bit more bone, a little bit more bone. And depending you, on. <laughs> yeah, so I, I see it. It's just you, you mm-hmm. lose more real estate. Yeah, you lose more real estate. We do have now what we call revision implants um, that are better than there used to be okay. as well. Um, but again, you do run out of options eventually. So going back to someone who may not be a candidate for an ankle replacement mm-hmm. or someone who fails an ankle replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, is that when you start talking about ankle fusion, or where, what you know, what scenario? Let's get into the, the word fusion and what that means around the ankle, mm-hmm. um, because that that seems to be a fairly common procedure too. Absolutely, it's still actually the gold standard for arthritis at the ankle. Okay, um, it's an excellent procedure. It is one that scares people when they hear you're going to fuse my ankle and do what. Right. Um, because they think that taking away that motion at the ankle, they're not going to be able to walk. They're not going to be able to move. That it's going to be extremely noticeable. Things like that. Um, and we can take videos of you know people walking, and you wouldn't be able to tell which ankle was fused in the majority of them. Really? Um, yeah, you still have a good range of motion uh, through the what we call show part joints, so in front of it. So you still actually do have some up-down motion. It's just through your foot. Um, it's not as extensive as through the ankle. So you spend a lot of time in clinic dispelling rumors of you know what what it means and mm-hmm. how functional they'll be. 
-hmm. Can you run with an ankle fusion? Absolutely. You can. Mm -hmm. That may be an advantage. So that's why people that are younger and more active or laborers are candidates for ankle fusion, not replacement. Um, just because an ankle replacement in somebody that is 50 years old or 40 years old, 30 years old that had a really bad fracture at some point, mm -hmm. if they get a total ankle at that point and it's only expected to be 8 to 12 years and they have 40 years of expected right. <laughs> life left, right. we can't revise it four times. Not um, to mention risk of infection, you mm -hmm. know, loosening fracture, all the things that can come along with it. So fusion becomes a much better option at that point. And how do you fuse that joint? Just very rudimentary. Essentially, uh, when you already have arthritis, you're already losing cartilage. So yeah. we remove the rest of the cartilage. And we kind of trick the bone into thinking there's a break. Um, you drill you know, some little holes, you get that bone bleeding and make it think it's, a, it's broken. Right. You put screws across it and hold it in a good position. And then your bone, your body just, you know, bone's not very smart. It just kind of lays yeah. down bone. It yeah. acts like... It's a break. Do you have so to put anything it. in there to stimulate bone growing or no? Um, we you use local bone graft, or if somebody has a higher risk of not healing something, you can add additional bone graft, either some from the heel bone or sometimes from the top of the um, tibia near the, the knee. And I'm guessing every clinic you do, you're seeing someone with some form of ankle arthritis. This is a fairly common condition. It is fairly common. Um, you see, Not it, as common as ankle sprains. Definitely not as common as an ankle sprain. Okay. Um, but... The farmers here in Iowa, yeah. there's there's a decent amount of it, but I love every one of them because they come in and they're like, eh, it kind of bothers me, and their ankles are just toast. <laughs> they, they're bone on bone. They have some big deformity. But and they don't have any time to take off for surgery, right? It's always like the end of fall, but then that comes, and they're like, oh, I'm busy. Then it's spring, but then mm -hmm. like, well, I got to. Well, it's time to plan. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the thing is, they just want the pain better. They don't think it, I mean, they're like, it doesn't stop me from what I'm doing. Right. And it's, you know, terrible. So if you can get their pain better and they can get back to what they were doing, they're fantastic. You just have to work with them on planning the timing. And it works out, fan it, I mean, they're happy as can be right. because it was stiff before. They, what You know, when they have bad arthritis like that, they really weren't moving at that joint. Sure. It was already essentially fused. And it's causing pain, dysfunction. It's painful. So we take the pain away and then they don't have the motion and... That, that can be a very happy patient at that point. Absolutely. Well, this is fantastic uh, information. I can tell that you have a passion dealing with all sorts of these ailments, and you're a huge addition to DMOS and to the central Iowa area. So uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, you made it through your first Iowa winter, so congratulations. <laughs> Apparently it was a bad one. Well, February wasn't great. I mean, <laughs> minus 20 on the thermometer is never... Never something you want to see. It but. isn't, but it wasn't that bad. So Yeah, it was brief. It was at least brief. It wasn't January through February. I think we'll stay. So. All right, very good. Thanks for coming on, Leah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Joint Effort, a podcast from Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. If you have questions about this podcast and wish to schedule an appointment with the surgeon, call 515-224-1414 or visit dmos.com.